Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to episode 52 of On the Table Gaming. I'm Chase, and today I'm joined with Mike Meeple from Painting Poorly, A Song of Ice and Fire, a longtime friend of the show and an even longer supporter of A Song of Ice and Fire. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Mike. Always good to be here. Now, you had actually a uh, painting video you put up on your YouTube channel with Fabio Curry, the lead game developer from A Song of Ice and Fire. So I know you guys are, you're already buddies. I like to think so, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to actually pull in Fabio Curry, the lead game developer for A Song of Ice and Fire, to talk about the recent release of the version 1.4 scenarios and tournament rules updates. So uh, Fabio, thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Hey guys, it's always great to be here, you know. Like you said, we're we're becoming buddies. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you're making the rounds. So I I think I saw I heard rumor that there's going to be a uh, a video of you playing a song of ice and fire. I think over Skype, possibly oh, with Carl Kirsten, right? Yeah, the peacekeeper. Yeah, that's happening. I don't know which one's gonna come out first. You know, his or your or your episode. Oh, but... geez. Okay, well, we gotta, now we got the pressure. We got to rush this thing going. <laughs> so no, no spoilers either way. Then I guess go go watch the video to see how it go, comes out and who wins. But uh, uh, we're rooting for I guess both of you there. Yeah, definitely. Carl's a great player as well. And so you know these one point four updates. Um, these are really cool, and I want to get into the scenario modes. But there are also some sort of tournament updates and general updates for the game that people might not be aware of, or that we could maybe just pick your brain about a little bit and hear what some of your thoughts were and maybe hear about some of the decision-making behind it. Uh, but I want to start off with you know, the War Council app has been getting better and better and better. And I noticed there was a line saying that cards are not required anymore and that the War Council app can be used in its place. Uh, does this mean that you guys are moving away from cards? You know, has Seema never thought about doing like a card upgrade pack? Um, you know, does this signal something kind of in the future that you might be heading towards? Um. I don't think this uh, signals anything at the moment, um, but we have this amazing resource, right? That is official already. So why not allow that in tournaments, right? And when we say the War Council app, you can actually, if you do the print to PDF and you actually take a printed version of that, that also counts because it's considered inside what the app can oh, provide. Oh, interesting. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I, I was wondering about that because sometimes even just traveling with my cards, I'm worried if I'm going somewhere and it's like a bit of a haul that I might like lose a card or damage it. It's not. It's not that big a concern, but you know, just having that printout paper might actually be easier. I mean, whenever I play and at any of the local stuff or or even just with my friends, I always I always kind of ask them. I say I say, hey, is it if it's all the same with you? I'd like to just not bust out my cards, not cause that mess. Just play off of my app. Here's my list take a look at my phone and then you know we can check all the stats that way and everyone seems to be okay with that you know man i'm so much the opposite it's kind of embarrassing this is like if anyone's ever played me you're gonna be like what is your deal i can never remember anything and so i'll be like all right time to take my first activation i'm like how far do raiders move again and i'll have to like just quickly glance every once in a while even though I've moved them like hundreds of times by now, uh, it's just like randomly like I'll forget base stats. So having the cards as a reference is often really helpful. I mean, I guess the phone is just as easy, but I'm that guy at your local gaming store who like plays all the time, but has a horrible memory. Yeah, I usually use the app uh, just because sometimes cards have been updated and I don't remember which ones. And then I, I just open them up in the app. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, you know, down the line, something to think about is in the base rule book, um, having somewhere where you're actually referencing the War Council app, I think that would be just good for new players because I feel like some people maybe are getting into the game not necessarily realizing that there is this huge asset available that uh, they maybe just haven't heard of yet until they get plugged into the, one of the online communities. Yeah, that's on its way. <laughs> oh, fair enough. So, Fabio, uh, I noticed on the uh, the update um there's some new uh tournament scoring system uh that's in place what what was what were you kind of thinking what was the thought process behind that oh okay so we were looking at ways to better represent how the matches um came out in the end and to and to see if the scoring can actually uh, reflect that you know reflect the match outcome so before 
if you were just accruing points and that didn't really reflect if you won by a large margin or a small one. So we think that's a, a good way to sort of, yeah, like I said, reflect that issue. So, so now it's like, if you get a win, you get three tournament points. If you tie, you get two tournament points. A loss is one tournament point. Forfeit is zero tournament points. And uh, in the end, um and then in secondary points if you win by a margin of five or greater it's considered a major victory if you win by three, three to four, four points it's considered ugh, i forgot the name we gave it uh, standard victory so standard three to four victory. points then it's a standard victory and zero to two points is a minor victory but that's only as a tiebreaker right Right. I'm really excited to see how that pans out. I think, I, I, I don't know, I, I've i played in a lot of close games that you don't realize how close it is until, you like, just by looking at who won, you know? So I think this is a, this is really cool. I, was, I just played a game this weekend, uh, and we we're like, it could have gone either way up until the very last minute, and the scores even didn't even really reflect how close it was. You know, um, so anything to kind of help, I, I, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Help tell the narrative, you know, convey the narrative of the, of, of the game and how epic the game was in the scores is, is cool. That's awesome. So another interesting change was that now um, when it comes to actually just deploying your troops and picking turns, now it's set that the player who does not choose the deployment zone gets to assign the first player. So I liked how in the old version, you couldn't have this choice, but it was either you choose the deployment zone or you get to be the first player. What's the reasoning behind allowing the player to choose whether to be first or second player now? I think this way we give the the second player more options. While before you were always the first player and in some situations that was a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. So you already have the disadvantage of not choosing the side you want. So let's try to level that a bit with making you choose who is the first player. So if, if you're a reactive player and you want to have the second round, um, that's the solution we thought of, I guess. That's awesome. But it, that's, that was it, right? It's supposed to be simple. I always like going second normally. So I always try to, like, if I win the thing, I'm always like, okay, I'm trying to do the math in my head. I'm like, okay, right. so I choose the deployment, then I'm going to go second. So, okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, I think that's a really cool strategy in the game, too. It's like who's going to go first on the top of the second turn can be really significant. Or you can be like, yeah, no, I got like 12 units on the table. I don't really care. I'll let you charge into me, and then, then I'll destroy you. Typical free folk, I guess. Exactly, right? You know, sometimes. <laughs> So um, uh, talk to us about the, the random terrain generation. So I, I know that uh, you guys kind of teased it a while back, um, and now it's, it's like official that the, the new format uh, has the random terrain generation. So, so, I mean, which do you prefer? Is, is the, the preset, the random, or the traditional, like, I place, you place? Okay, so in this case, uh, it's pretty weird because I would say my preference as a player would be alternating placement just like it always was because of the just the tactical element of placing terrain. But at the same time, um, this is me thinking about uh, participating in competitive play, right? When, when I play with my friends, <laughs> seldom as I do because it's usually in playtest, <laughs> um, <laughs> We, we like the, the system of random terrain because it makes you think on your feet, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a good way to practice and learn. And that's always fun. But I'd say that also the thing is alternating terrain is a little time consuming. And sometimes you just don't have that time. Whereas when you roll for terrain, you don't really have a choice of what it is. So you'll place it somewhere it, usually the place you, you put it is pretty obvious because you only have the choice of where do I place it and not what and where. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think yeah. one concern, though, I think the random maybe takes more time. I'm actually kind of interested in in the preset. I think, you know, that might be, to me, the most appealing. I don't often get to play that way, but I feel like, you know, if you're playing in your casual games or, at you know, with a, a friend. Um, but if at tournaments, I feel like um, that might add, like, another interesting dynamic to it. 
Yeah, I'd say in tournaments, uh, preset terrain is really advantageous just because you save so much time and uh, no one can really complain about the unfairness because you're still rolling to pick sides and initiative. Yeah, I like the random personally. I I, I think that it, because like you said, Fabio, it, it gives you that element of kind of flowing with, you know, rolling with the punches um, instead, because I mean, if if I'm playing if I'm playing a Lannisters, I know they're taking corpse files. You know, if I'm playing, right. <laughs> you know, if I am uh, as as the Night's Watch player, I'm throwing out as many weirwood trees as I can, you know? So without having those, I guess, stacking the deck in your favor, it really makes it more of an even playing field. So I, I personally uh, love seeing the randomness on there right now, so. I mean, that makes sense. I think, you know, in 90% of my games, uh my opponents are just bringing like palisades and corpse piles. So, you know, throwing in some uxter stuff is like a bog. Like, I didn't know we had a bog. Like, sure. What do the spikes do? <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. No, seriously, though. <laughs> the hedges versus uh, the walls versus. So, yeah, I think so, this will overall, I think, add in more diversity. It's cool to have that option there. Um, but the other big thing you guys added in now is uh, officially you had this in the beta versions, but the contesting. So now a unit uh, controls a token that it's claimed as long as it is not engaged by an enemy combat with more remaining ranks than it has. So the moment this happens, it immediately stops controlling that token. And just to be clear, I see this question sometimes come up. It's, uh, it's the total rank of a unit controlling it, not the units controlling it. So if I had you know, three free folk units against a unit, I don't have 12 ranks. I've only got, I only count it per each unit. I count one full rank of it or, you know, the, the four ranks. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, just, uh, units have three ranks. So that would so, be nine. Nope. Sorry, math there. Math moment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just joking. I'm just being nitpicky. No, no, no that's good. That's, yeah. that's, that's, you think, you know, I remember that as I got my, I, my I was here. like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> But yeah, it's only the unit uh, that is engaged and has the most out of your ranks, you know? So if you have a unit that like three units with one rank is not the same thing as one unit with three ranks. Right. It, you just choose one. And You don't even choose, right? You just consider the one with the largest amount of ranks. Right. And that's really, I think that adds so much tactical play to the game. And there was some concern in the, in the beta version. People were saying, oh, you know, like what about solo units then? They only count as one rank, and so now officially, solo units count as having as many ranks as remaining wounds. So that's a big change, and that means like a giant comes in then counting as five ranks? Yeah, and I'd say not only mechanics-wise, we tested this, and we feel when we're very confident, otherwise we wouldn't have made it official. But also flavor-wise, uh, right? Imagine that a giant wants to stay on top of something, he will, you know, like- That's true. He's not leaving. Yeah, but now I've got to make more difficult decisions because I like to have my giants running around smashing stuff and now I've got to be like, oh, do I leave seven points at this point or do I, you know, charge off and go kill stuff? Uh, more, more choices. Exactly, now you, <laughs> you have more choices and more choices are better. That's true. What are my easy answers though? Oh boy. You, when I, as soon as I saw this, the contesting rules in the beta, I, I instantly thought, oh, thank goodness, now I don't have to worry about my opponents planting their two flayed men lists and just sitting there uh. on, these, on these objectives, you know, and, you know, because that was always just such a pain. And it's not necessarily something that it wasn't like I couldn't overcome, but it's like it kind of makes it not fun when you see these when you're playing a 40 point game and they're running two flayed men and your game of thrones and you know they're gonna move to those back two it's like why even bother let me yeah. so it's gonna be a fight over right. the middle which is fine but it's like this way it's like okay okay we can th this is gonna force those those kinds of players which if you're one of those listening and one of those kinds of players i've got nothing against you per se but i just think <laughs> you're kind of, i just think you're kind of annoying oh no oh no <laughs> Oh no! The, Mike Meeple starts a fight with the internet. 
oh no a lot of those guys are a lot of my friends play that way yeah so i'm, I'm mostly talking to you preston um but <laughs> <laughs> but, but i mean uh, yeah it does those lists kind of uh they, they raise I, questions but they raise yeah. questions like when they get deployed you're like oh the question is like yeah that they're gonna are they gonna do the same thing every game i know what they're gonna list. do and and, yeah. and now now they it, they can't do that it's awesome well, they can, right? What's stopping them? And still, if you're going to try to um, contest that objective, you're still going to be hit by Flademan. Right. So I don't think that it's not feasible anymore. It's just putting everything in in a more dynamic right. playing field. Right. Now we have choices in contesting them, though. Like, you know, there's exactly. more, more gameplay yeah. option. I apologize. Yeah. So that being said, like, I, you know, I've had a lot of fun playing, especially as a free folk player, having more choices and being like, oh, my gosh, like, I need to get this unit over there to contest at this moment. Um, you know, it's just been really, really fun. But, um, you know, when these when these announcements were made, you know, moments after it was announced, there were some people that, you know, were a little concerned. Um, and so, you know, clearly before they even had a chance to, to play it, uh, because it was so quickly, but there were some Stark players who started to worry that, you know, does their faction identity um, put them at odds with some of these changes? And so, you know, they were feeling that the idea that they take damage to do damage, right, with like Stark Fury or the way Berserkers work, that maybe that doesn't fit this style of play of, you know, contesting well. And then it was kind of coupled then with this, the new change that uh, the wolf, the wolf units those zero point units are going to be worth victory points. Uh, and there were some people that felt like, oh my gosh, is this like a hard nerf to the Stark faction? Um, you know, what, what, do you, what do you kind of think about that? Um, I can say well, with a good degree of certainty that we play, we, we play tested this extensively. And it, I would say that, of course, you need a, be wary of these little things and you don't want to give your opponent free points obviously and they're not free he's spending actions and so on but easy points let's say yeah but at the same time i i can i can certainly say that if you still use your same strategies you're not going to be overwhelmed these rules are not gonna uh, hinder stark players as much as people think at the moment i'd say just because of data that we accrued, you know? So when I play Starks, uh, I always do Stark Fury with my Sworn Serves. You know, hmm. it's, it's it's an amazing ability. And you, okay, you're going to take uh, a few wounds and you might maybe lose a rank, but you might not as well. And you're definitely still gaining value out of that ability. And... If if you do use Stark Fury and you're and you're not managing to inflict the damage that you need, then you're either just so unlucky, right? Or there's something going wrong. You're you're hitting Tully shields in the front, but then you're facing <laughs> another Stark players, right? You know. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think that the uh, that that uh, doing the damage to yourself is no longer a value. Um, to doing more damage to your opponent because realistically you're taking you know if if i'm taking damage and you're taking more damage i'm i've still got more ranks on the on the objective right so you know so i i think that that uh that's that's kind of a a non-concern um i do think that it's going to make people play a lot more conservatively with their wolves though um as a as a Night's Watch player, you know I like Jon Snow, like like Ghost, and I'll be honest, I I was kind of, whenever I play with that, I'm always like, well, whatever, you killed Ghost, whatever. But now I'm like, no, Ghost, no. <laughs> hmm. And also, I'd say, and now I'm just uh, I'm just theory crafting myself, right? But before, if when the wolves weren't worth any points and you just put them in a back objective, the other guy would say like, ah, oh, why would I go there? You know, there's better things for me to do. And now that is actually a sort of bait and it has more bait value and you can, your enemies in and he can extend himself to a place where he has no support from other units and you can try to kite them in a way. Yeah. It, I think it definitely adds some new strategies and, I think, you know, I guess the, the thing that people need to realize is that, yeah, you're going to have to adapt, 
right? I mean, you don't want to use your wolf as like a speed bump or something just to block a charge lane because uh, it isn't free. Um, you know, you want to really be tactical with it still. Uh, so there might be a little bit of a learning curve there. People really need to maybe adjust in some ways. But and yeah. there's still amazing point grabbers. That's something right. that we saw during the playtest cycles that people will still field them and still use them to grab points mm -hmm. because it's still a very cheap activation and they don't do that much damage. So you can actually use them for better things like grabbing objectives. And when, with these changes also came uh, changes to the game modes. So some of these we had kind of clear states of in the, the beta documents you put out earlier that are now kind of finalized and baked in. So starting off with the Game of Thrones, um, now it's been a while, so hopefully I don't, I don't miss anything here uh, after playing on the beta version for so long. But so now in the Game of Thrones official mode, the center objective will have always the card that says this objective grants one additional victory point when scoring. When you score points from this objective, the unit controlling it suffers a panic test with a negative two to their roll. The rest you draw out as usual. And you have to have your tray entirely overlapping the token to claim it. And we do have contesting rules on this. Um, you know, I think this is, I'm, this has become kind of my, I've cycled back around to this being like kind of my favorite game mode. I don't know about for you, Mike, but when I initially started playing, we played this one a lot. And then we kind of got bored of it. We moved on to playing other ones more regularly when we had the chance. But now I've just realized this is kind of like the classic mode. Yeah, this this is the mode this is the mode for me and my friends you know when i think uh when i'm first opening up the war council app and i'm like let me build a let me build a new army in my like five minute break between you know interviews at work or whatever um i'm like oh let me build a new army i'm always thinking with game of thrones in mind um so um so yeah you know this is the easily for at least in my group the most played uh, objective or the most played game mode. So to see that you guys have kind of put a lot of care into keeping the game mode and listening to, uh, you know, and making sure that it's that it's as fun and as fair as possible, I think is awesome. Um, and I, I like all of the changes that you guys have made. And that's not just me being complimentary. That is that is me being just genuine. I, I like the center objective being worth two. I think that's just going to force the the fights there um, more often than not, and um, just create more chaos. I, I it's just really nice. <laughs> well, uh, thanks. And but that was Sorry, really. I, I, mean, I don't know if I was supposed to say any of that, but those, that's just my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the the really the the main change here. Um, not considering just like the contesting and fully grasping the objective points because that's almost across the board in all game modes except for Beast for Crows. But <laughs> but I think that that was something that we we saw the community feedback and we said, hey, that makes a lot of sense. You know, lots of people were house ruling that the center objective was the two VP one, and we saw that popping up in many places and many little like local communities. And we said, well, that makes a lot of sense. I guess that can be official now. <laughs> and then we're moving on to Clash of Kings. Now, to be honest, this was a game mode that as I got more and more into Free Folk, it's one I often struggled on and uh, one I often tried to avoid. Um, maybe can you talk us through some of the changes you made on this mode? Because this actually got kind of a, Clash of Kings got a significant rework. All right. so. Clash of Kings suffered many changes, and the I think the two main changes were the deployment zones and also how the units were deployed um, from the reserves based on uh, if you were using the objective to come in from a table edge, a flank edge, I mean, or if you were just going into your own deployment zone. Mm -hmm. I think uh, talking first about just the change in the deployment zones, we felt that the little squares and the corners were a little bit um, just overcomplicated and unnecessary. I think that that was also deterring people from choosing that mode just because ugh, I have to do a different deployment than I'm used to. And it wasn't <laughs> adding anything. So now I think with this deployment, everything's just more streamlined. And that's always a focus we always try to make 
things um, more streamlined when possible if it's not detrimental to other aspects of the game. And the and the second part was how the units entered. So if you deployment if you deploy them through your deployment zone, they come without an activation token. But if they come through a flank edge, they come with an activation token. And that's all. That's again we're trying to uh, give players more choices. So do you, are you are you defensive? Has the other guy already invaded your deployment zone? That'll give you chances to uh, come back and catch up. At the same time, if you really want to be aggressive, now you can't just deploy and charge. You, you have to deploy, survive around, and then do something or have some shenanigans. You know, there's always <laughs> something you can have, like the North remembers or something. That combat zone. Yeah, picking the, or if you have sudden. Sudden charge. Uh, sudden charge or something like that. But then you've planned ahead and you deserve being able to charge in the same round you deployed. So I think we kind of leveled the playing field and we also made it a little simpler. I also think that the big change uh, regarding the NCU uh, commander having a proxy and you gaining points for destroying the enemy commander, we felt that this was really uh, one of the game modes that in tournaments, we're making people have a second list just for this situation. You know, I'm going to have an NCU commander specifically for Clash of Kings. And that's not what really what we intended. So we decided to give a little bit more of a reward for uh, combat commanders. Just to, in this case, kind of push the meta to a way that it's not restraining people anymore. So you can still pick an NCU commander. and you still have a high chance of winning because NCU commanders do have a lot of value to them. But uh, a combat commander in this case will give you extra benefits that might make you want to choose them. Yeah, and you also have it now. If a unit has an ability that grants additional victory points from it being destroyed, that ability also only triggers the first time the unit is destroyed. So coming back in, bringing them back on the table... Um, you know, is is still pretty feasible if you have a kind of a meaty unit there. Oh let yeah, definitely. I was gonna say, Sorry? let me ask, let me ask you something, uh, Fabio. What was the thought process behind? Because I noticed you also removed the um, limit on uh, bringing back character um, character units like the King's Guard or uh, Edard Edard's Honor Guard. What, what was the thought process behind that? Or the bone loads chosen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, once again, we felt it was an unnecessary restriction. But and also with the other changes that came in this game mode, um, we felt that this complemented well. Like these things came hand in hand. Uh, doing one change without the other kind of felt clunky. So, um, I guess that's it. It just felt right. And after trying them, we, we didn't think it was unfair for you to return with character units. Although, um, and then I'll uh, give a shout out to Carl and tell people to watch the match we had on Skype because there is a very interesting interaction with Take the Black. Oh. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, how does that work then? <laughs> so it just like it's a permanently <laughs> a permanently better unit. I guess you guys have to uh, take a look at that that match. All right, and if it's out by the time this podcast comes out, I'll try and link it in the show notes below. Otherwise, check out uh, Carl Kirstein Peace the Peacekeeper Gaming uh, YouTube channel. All right, and then moving on to Feast for Crows, man. This is a whole new game mode you guys made. Uh, and this seems really exciting to play as a Free Folk player. I'm actually looking forward to games on this as to opposed to the old version where I'd be like, well, time to make an all-giant list or I have to take Mance. Um, so in this new mode, the corpse piles, there's two on the board. And um, you when your units are destroyed, you drop your a corpse pile uh, within... 
long range, at least one inch away from another terrain piece or a unit's tray, and you put an objective token on the center of the corpse pile. So now these are, it's really strategic about where your units are dying. What a really cool approach to this. Um, uh, you know, this must have been a really interesting one to play test. Uh, yeah, this uh, Feast for Crows already since the beginning was one of the game modes that suffered the most changes. Every time we could, we try to do something, right? I, I think that people that have been playing from the start saw the evolution of this game mode with the panic checks having minus one, minus two, minus three every round and and things like that. So I think we finally reached a sweet spot where it still feels like Feast for Crow and it's very grim dark, but at the same time, it, it like you said, you need a position well and it rewards players that plan ahead. And that's something we always want to do. I also think it kind of fixed the it fixes the issue that we had beforehand where like I said with Clash of Kings people also had like an A list and then a B list for Feast for Crows you said like the all giants list for example yeah and that's something that really uh bugs us you know as a, as developers when we try to um make make everything run smoothly and then you see that there's just this one little thing that's off and it's just pulling the meta to a whole different place so i think i think this might be like a concrete and i can't say final because we we can always change and improve but uh, a very long lasting feast for crows i hope so i'd like to hear a lot of player feedback on that one i like oh, oh go you got it Okay. Uh, I liked what uh, Michael Chanel said in the, um, I guess, press release that you guys did for this last week, um, where he said that it was a little too chaotic. It was too, it, you know, they want chaos, but that was that was too much chaos. <laughs> and, and you know when Michael Chanel, the lord of chaos, is saying it, then, then it's too much chaos. Oh, well, okay. For example, I was playing this mode this past weekend, and I had a unit of Sworn Brothers. I had, I had seven points. And I had a unit of Sworn Brothers, the, the old note, I should say, a unit of Sworn Brothers um, on my force that was worth nine points. And uh, oh. it, yeah, and if I could have killed their Lannister Guardsmen worth two points plus the one for killing them, um, they had four, five points. Um, uh, I would have won, but they killed my, uh, my Sworn Bros. So they went from, I had seven points and they had five and then they ended that we, they won with 15 points for oh killing. My one God. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So, so I'm really excited for this new piece for Crows <laughs> so that, uh, I, I, I don't have a 10 point swing. <laughs> my final turn and then how about this can you can you walk us through some of the changes for winds of winter okay so winds of winter like we tried a couple of different versions of winds of winter like on the backstage to see which one would fit best and when we released the beta version like there was just a few changes from that one to this to the current official one but we were already pretty confident. And then we we actually, again, caught some player feedback that it was still a little bit hard to mitigate the secret mission cards. So we changed a bit the tactic zone. And I I feel that now it's fine because before you would also have around five cards um, during a match of secret missions to play. And now you just get them up front and that's much easier to plan. And honestly, I think that usually if you receive five cards, there are probably two to three that you can do um, like easily or at medium difficulty. And you can still change that using the tactic zone. So there's a lot of uh, resources that you can uh, apply. And once again, I think this is now my favorite game mode. It, I really enjoyed Winds of Winter before i think we even talked about this like in a previous podcast where we made a list for winds of winter mm -hmm. but now i i'm 
pretty sure this is my favorite game mode just because you have to be adaptive. And uh, I've heard some people say that it's a little too random still, but I don't believe it to be so. Uh, you're still playing a game where you roll dice, so you're in for a little bit of randomness. And when both players pick five cards already up front, that's half of the secret mission deck. So if you if you know your secret mission deck a little bit better, you don't need to know all of the cards, but you sort of know some of the basic ones and and you can kind of predict what your opponent is doing. And that's really interesting. I think this is a game mode that the more you play, the more you learn the nuances of Song of Ice and Fire. Absolutely. And I almost wondered at some point if it would make sense to put like, I don't want to say like difficulty levels on, but uh, this is a game mode where I feel like you really need to study the secret mission deck. Um, and uh, if you're like a new player, though, picking up the game for the first time and you flip through and you're like, Winds of Winter, that sounds cool. As like your first game, this could be a, a little bit of a rough one. I, I think if you don't know what's coming up and that your opponent like, oh, they could do that. And, you know, they just charged me with eight units or something and got eight, you know, uh, victory points through achieving a charge or something. Um, that can always throw people off. But I, I do think what you're saying is, you know, the more familiar you are with the deck, the more you actually are playing around this sort of second mind game, uh, trying to anticipate your opponent and account for possible cards they might have, which does make it somewhat dynamic. I got, I got nothing. Yeah. I've, I've, mm -hmm. I've literally never played either mode. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. No, that's fine. Um, this one is definitely one that I played early on uh just cuz and i have like a not great experience with and then it took me a while to come back to it and being like okay and i can see like i it, i think it cuts both ways where i i think i hear people some uh, high levels of play being like you know there's too much randomness because they want to like account for everything like the players that want to try and mitigate and get like every advantage under their control and this like firmly rebuffs that and i think that actually is actually the strength of the mode because then you you can't you have to play around it and you have to um you know i think you said think on your feet before you really do with this um but at the same time i totally get how some people who want to have you know everything mitigated and and controlled as much as they can why this might not speak to them as much the new the the new game mode you know kind of it reminds me of like a board game you know right like, like it re reminds me of like the 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 risk where it's like oh get, get conquer these three things and now you get get these uh you know you get some points you know except you you know it's kind of there and you can kind of work towards it as opposed to them kind of swapping out every every round oh god you just compared song of ice and fire with risk no i'm just joking i'm just joking i love risk as well <laughs> oh man uh, all right let's keep moving on no, we got a lot of game modes now sir uh Oh no, I just like to add something if you yep. don't mind. Go for it. Um this is this goes into a, like a little bit of game design theory, but so there're just two like two main types of randomness you can add to a game. Uh, the first one is output randomness where that's the one we're more used to in war games where you take decisions then you roll the dice and see how they resolved. Um and there's input randomness where you're given uh something at random, and then you have to uh, resolve stuff with what you're given, right? So that would be closer to like uh, Magic the Gathering where you first draw cards. So now you've had your input randomness and then you have to choose what's best with with that, right? So I think that um, Wargamers in general, including myself, are so used to output randomness that when we see input randomness, sometimes we get a little cautious and but i think that song of ice and fire players have uh, an advantage in this case because they already play with a tactics deck so i i think it it's just a little bit of practice and wanting to reach that next level like okay i'm, I'm very familiar now with game of thrones uh so i'll try winds of winter now and try to learn this new game mode to see what it has to offer rather than feel intimidated i think that makes sense uh, and then also, uh, moving on, a Dance with Dragons. Uh, man, I was a huge fan of when of this game mode when it came in, and I still really enjoy playing it. Um, any major changes for Dance with Dragons? 
I don't think there were any, right? Yeah, I think so. That, this is a game mode came in ready to go, then it didn't need any updates. Um, boy, though, uh, some things that have been coming up, you know, uh, was it uh, Pip and uh, Egret with their uh, their shifts oh. on their uh, I love you know, that. zipping around. Them. Um, I even saw recently some people going with Spearwife Matriarchs trying to grab a token and then uh, retreat out of there. Um, you know, this is a really fun, exciting game mode. It kind of reminds me in a weird way of like like a high school gym, like dodgeball, capture the flag, where like you run up to that center line and you like try and grab the dodgeball and then get back to your side safely. At least that's how I'm playing it. Maybe I'm being too defensive. but I think it's totally true. I mean, we call it football. <laughs> Like, like, there we go. Yeah, always like, which mode is this? Oh, it's football. Okay, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> but I absolutely love this game mode. Um, maybe one of my all time favorites. I was just gonna say, this one's probably my favorite, you know. I, I and I, I did use the pip crossbowman uh shift. Oh, to you great success. Uh, my, my opponent was running Tully cat or Tully's, so uh-huh. I was shifting six and they were moving four. It was hilarious. <laughs> hilarious for you the other side they're like gosh darn it <laughs> but it's it's a cool element i think it makes it really fun yeah i, I enjoy that game mode as well and that's why we didn't change anything i think it's very well rounded and it just has a lot to offer already you know and uh, there's this expression you know like don't change a winning team so yeah <laughs> yeah no this one's really great and also fire and blood um I think I've maybe talked about this on the air, but I like this game mode, Fire and Blood, and but for some reason, I just can't, like, grok it. Like, I can't play it well. And this is a game mode where me, personally, as a player, I just struggle with, um, and I've got to just, I've got to put more time in, I guess. I put a lot of time in, actually, but you never have those things where it's like, there's just a mode that you're like, this is so cool, but when you go to do it, you're just like, for some reason, not doing well. And a lot of it just comes down to, like, setting up positions to kill. Um, but maybe I've just been thinking so much about objectives before. I don't know, Mike, have you had success or what, what are your thoughts on fire and blood? Uh, I like fire and blood a lot. I like that. It is a very combat focused, um, uh, a game mode in general. Um, I kind of suck at it though. Yeah. <laughs> I see. It, it always paints this narrative in my head. I'm like, I'm like, everyone must suck at it, but I know that's not true because Fifty no, percent of the games that are being played, somebody's winning, and my opponents just are always stomping me. And I'm like, so there's a few people. I think there are. I can think of a few people off the top of my head that maybe I've never won against on this mode. And uh, you know, and they're they're probably like, I love this game mode. Like I'm undefeated. I can. I'm just. I'm killing it. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love this game mode. I've never won at this game. Yeah, I just, I've, I've just never won, and, and, uh, uh, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. But Mike, here's the deal: if we ever meet, we have to play this game mode. (laughs) One of us will win. We'll break the curse. It's gonna Uh, be you. It's not gonna be me. You don't, you don't know. On this game, I always like overlook something at the end of this. It's something about not having the static objectives that I'm, I'll like be thinking two moves ahead and then I'll, for some reason on one round i'll just be like oh yeah i messed up or i i, I just i overcommit I, I i overcommit with with my um because you know i run night's watch so i i, mm-hmm. I over I, I'm, I'm like they're invincible they can stand up to anything i'll just run my my mark units in there to get some more points oh no See, i have the hardest time is like more cautious opponents like i don't like i like you know kind of enveloping people and letting them be aggressive and then just like swarming them uh if they're a little bit more defensive and cagey then i i sometimes start to fall apart or they can target my weak spots so it's like the match made in heaven chase <laughs> I'll, I'll in there and then you can just take me apart <laughs> um but you know yeah sorry babiola if you can have thoughts oh. on this game mode too after we just talked for a few minutes about it uh, uh yeah it's it's a game mode i i play sometimes and i think that like you said you you something interesting right now that you said you play for objectives and this is a game mode where the objective is killing enemies so uh, specific enemies are better but just killing all around is good so it kind of shifts from the regular ones where 
you, you need to position yourself to stay put. Whereas in this one, you need to position yourself kind of playing a tag game. Where, right. You know, I just had to convince my opponents to come into my deployment zone. I'd just be like, come on over here so that I can uh, endless horde like right next to you. Um, but, you know, a lot of times people will start the game and they'll be like, okay, yeah, like what, how do I just play a game mode where we just, you know, we just kill each other? And it's like, I have yeah. the perfect game mode for you. Yeah, I think this is the, this is probably the best game mode for teaching the game, you yeah. know? Um, because you just focus on the combat aspect, the fact that there are objectives and that objectives are important, you know, but you can still win the, the game through other means. You know, I, 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 this is, this is my go-to for when I teach the game, I teach fire and blood. Hmm. That's actually a really good point. I don't typically do that, but I totally should. Hmm. Uh, dark also, wings. One of the reasons why I lose all the time. Oh, <laughs> Uh, also, we got Dark Wings, Dark Words. Uh, so this is the one, you know, breaking the the naming conventions here a little bit. Um, now, this is a really interesting mode in that it's kind of like a, it kind of harkens back to Winds of Winter a little bit. Um, and Fabio, what's your kind of thoughts on, on this game mode? Um, all right. I, I don't know how much I can share about the design process, but... Um... I, I think I'll, I'll risk it. <laughs> when we were uh -oh. trying to change Winds of Winter, um, we found some interesting rules that we wanted to apply. And we were also thinking, like, what are other ways to use the secret mission deck? You know, how how else can, can we use this cool asset of the game, you know, that's being left out and even being, like, a little hated, you know? <laughs> and uh, And then... Michael is just brilliant, you know, and he came up with this Winds of Winter idea. And and then we, we tried playing it a couple of times. We actually had made it, uh, well, we, we made a version and then we changed some stuff and that was the beta one. And then we decided to change back a couple of things um, because sometimes uh, the the first you has has some better ideas you know and then yeah. after you, you you're just like stuck in the playtest cycle you get a little bit short-sighted so now we're confident that this can be a competitive and a tournament worthy game mode yeah i think this is an interesting one and uh it's cool to have two modes for secret mission decks um mm -hmm. I've only played this one twice, but I, I think that it um, was a little bit more, you're talking about like input output. I don't know. It's uh, I felt like a little bit less chaos, um, which is comforting, but I think yeah, this is a game. It's a little I, bit more forgiving because yeah. everyone has the same amount of information. And I feel like this is maybe even one you might play to build up to getting good at winds of winter, right? You can, start with some of these ideas, getting familiar to that way of thinking, and then go to the full, the full random. Yeah. And also it, it's a good way for you to read through the, the secret mission deck, because right. if you just sit down and read the cards, you're not really going to remember, but if you actually play them and then you see the guy charging you and earning a point per charge and you're like, wow, okay, I got it. Now I see how this works that you, you learn faster from practice right just like anything in life and then the final game mode is uh a storm of swords which got no changes um and that is not used for tournament play and um you know i played this one a few times it's a really fun thematic battle style um do you think there are other any any thoughts on future siege style game modes or do you think that might be something you're going to relegate for when you guys do more of your like thematic like Whispering Woods-style scenarios? Well, we're, we always keep our options open, and it's possible, yes. But I, I would think some, way more down the line because we still have a lot of other things to consolidate that are, are more relevant for the community as a whole. But I still think that A Storm of Swords is a great game mode it just we just don't think it's uh good for tournament play because of the asymmetric nature of it. Right. But it's not a balancing issue or anything, right? It's it's still a fun game mode. 
And if like if it's Sunday and you're gonna play with your kids, definitely you know play Storm of Swords. Awesome. Well, thanks for going through all those modes with us. Um, before we wrap things up, you've been making a lot of the rounds uh, with the community members. You know, I like I said, you're on Mike Meeple's uh, YouTube channel. We saw you with Carl Kirstein. It's been awesome that you've been putting yourself out there. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Are, uh, are there things that you're looking forward to seeing from the community, things that you're encouraged to see, things that you hope to see more of, things that you're like, hey, why has nobody done this yet? Anything come to mind? Well, I'm actually really impressed with how the community has evolved and how we, we actually have a very good uh, player base where people help each other out and everyone's very solicitive. Everyone is helping each other out, you know, and when people have questions, um, everyone answers really quickly. And when newcomers online say like, hey, I'm new, I know someone might have answered this, but please, someone really answers it immediately or links the answer to the person but i'd really like to give a shout out like to everyone <laughs> that's doing an amazing job um like yannick with the with the fan fact the others yeah really impressive and uh, they're, he, they're going he's got more where that came from just you wait <laughs> yeah no i i sometimes actually read their 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 stuff you know like i try I, because it's a collaborative work so it's open so I just go in there and see like what they're doing. And I'm, and I'm always so impressed at like how fast things are going. And I also, obviously um, you and Mike, you know, have been amazing. And um, Brian from Big Top Gaming. Big Top Gaming. And, and well, I really, I There's can just lot, like make right? a list, you know, there are a lot of people. <laughs> on 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 really yeah, you know, it's and, really I've been seeing more people joining and more content creators. So, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I also want to give a shout out to Simon, the Facebook group manager, because I oh, think yeah. he's also doing a very good job. And um, he's doing the wiki yeah. for the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And man, wow, that's like such a lot of work. And it's just an amazing job. And he's, it's incredible, you know. I I look through it, and I'm personally I'm his fan now, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, it's phenomenal. If you haven't checked out the Asung of Ice and Fire wiki, oh my gosh. Not only that is they're they're also tracking, um, you know, rules changes to the units, and it's just a super comprehensive site. That guy is doing so much work. He does so much for the community. So, uh, yeah. All right, and on that note, we'll wrap things up here. Uh, thanks so much for coming to the podcast, and until next time, I hope you get your miniatures on the table.